also, I believe, according to Scripture, are going to have to understand and realize that as mankind, we have a responsibility to trust Christ, that man does have a free will, and that God is sovereign. And there are some things in the Bible that are easy to understand. We're all sinners. Romans 3.23, the Bible teaches, God loves sinners and provided salvation. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, that those who respond to God's love receive eternal life. John chapter 3, verse 16, those are easy things to understand. But there are some things in the Bible that also are rather difficult to understand. The subject of God's sovereignty can be very divisive, uh, foreknowledge, election, predestination, adoption, all of these things can be very divisive. Now we need to understand they are biblical terms. We see those in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 24. Those are all biblical concepts. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, John Wesley and George Whitfield. Uh, were at odds over this very, very thing, uh, the, the issue of the complete and total sovereignty of God. And what I find ironic is neither had read the complete works of John Calvin. And so they assumed what the other believed. And, because, and so this can be a very, very divisive, and people take sides. And so we're not going to take a side today. As a matter of fact, I trust you don't either, because I believe if we think that we can fully understand the mind of God and how God works, it's complete hubris, meaning uh, we, we are jumping to a conclusion that we as mankind know everything and know what God knows. Uh, the definition of sovereignty or sovereign, is one who exercises supreme authority, complete control. So in a nutshell, the idea of God being sovereign is that God has complete control and that nothing happens that God did not will to be. That's what the sovereignty of God truly means, that whatever happens, God wills to be. Now, as we understand how that sovereignty plays out, That's where we get into a little bit of conflict. Uh, This is termed the absolute sovereignty of God. Those who believe that believe that God wills it and it happens. Now, there are some issues that come out of that. Uh, Is God the author of sin? Uh, We won't get into that either. because, and And I believe that suffice it to say that I believe, this is my personal opinion, I believe that God has chosen... I believe God is completely sovereign, but I believe God has chosen to limit his sovereignty as it relates to his relationship with mankind and God's ability to choose his or her own path. Now, does that make sense? Or did I muddy the waters even more? (laughs) I believe God is completely sovereign, but that God has chosen to limit that sovereignty where he says, I give you this field to, to, to play in, but you have some choice in where you do and what you do, or where you do it and what you do. So that is the, 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 the where we're going to spring from this morning. And 
Let's take a look at Deuteronomy 29.29 this morning as we begin this uh, today. Deuteronomy 29.29, and the Bible tells us that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Now there are things that God says, there are things that the Apostle Paul said that were secret things in the Old Testament or that, that were mysteries. God had not chosen to reveal them to the Old Testament prophets, but he has revealed to us today. Uh, primarily the mystery that we who are Gentiles could belong to God just as much as the Jews did. That was a mystery in the Old Testament. That had not been revealed to the Old Testament prophets. They were looking for a Messiah, but they were not completely understanding what the gospel would encompass or would completely encompass. So the secret things belong to the Lord our God. And I think we are prideful to say that we understand everything that the Bible teaches. But it goes on, but those things which are revealed. God has revealed some things very plainly. God has revealed some things that are still clouded in a bit of mystery. I believe on this side of heaven, we will not fully understand until we get to heaven. And he says, which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So this is some heady stuff. This is some things that, that people uh, stay awake at night trying to understand, that theologians have spent many, many years trying to, to unpack what all of this means. And I think for any of us to take a, a hard position one way or the other, as I said, is, is not understanding completely or, or think we understand God. But I believe that God's sovereignty does not conflict with man's ability to choose, man's free will. And here is, we're going to look at three points this morning. And the first thing is uh, that we look at the certainties of sovereignty, our focus. And the first thing we need to know is that God's sovereignty doesn't conflict with the gospel. God's sovereignty doesn't conflict with that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should believe on him, and that we wouldn't have to spend an eternity in the lake of fire. We understand that the gospel makes salvation available to all. The gospel makes salvation available to all. We see that in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where the Apostle Paul teaches us, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He says, For it is the power of God to salvation for, for who? For how many? Everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For those of you who have a little bit of, of, of history in, in uh, hearing about the different positions on the, the complete and absolute sovereignty of God, uh, there, is, there was a man who in the 1700s uh, wrote a lot about this, John Calvin, and he had five main points that he taught. Man's total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. Now, there, there are a few of those that are very, very troublesome. Uh, now, the total depravity, we know that we're sinners, that apart from the Holy Spirit, so there are some things that John Calvin, I believe, understood properly, but there are some things that I believe John Calvin was not, didn't quite get the full picture. And then there's the other side, complete 
other side of the spectrum and from a writer called Arminius. And that's pretty much that eventually we'll pretty much all be, uh, all kind of come into, into heaven and, and we have complete responsibility. And God pretty much, it's not, God has no sovereignty in that matter. So those are kind of two polar opposites. And that's pretty much where George Whitfield and John Wesley were. They were in separate camps. But we need to understand that the Apostle Paul, who got, was taught directly from Jesus Christ himself after his conversion, understands that we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God so that everyone who believes in the gospel and that anyone who believes in the gospel can and will be saved. So he says, For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So note, let's look at Paul's explanation of the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. He says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Jesus received it from Christ himself, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, here's, here's the thing. He understands that the gospel is the power of God. And the gospel is God's power providing salvation to anyone who believes and that Christ died for our sins. John 3.16, God so loved the world. We just learned a little while ago that, that he is not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for anyone who believes. So the gospel is the power of God bringing salvation to everyone who believes. And salvation, how do we receive salvation? Through believing. Now it's not thrust upon us. It's not God saying, okay, you'll be saved, you'll be saved, and you'll be saved. It's God saying, if you trust the work of Jesus on the cross and believe that Jesus is God and died in your place, you will be saved. So salvation is appropriated through faith, through belief. And let's get this. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the apostle Peter knew of no other way to salvation. Here, here we see in Acts, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So we understand that there's, it's not through Buddha. It's not through anyone else. It's not through the church. It's not through the Roman Catholic Church. It's not through the Baptist Church, the Bible Church, the Methodist Church, the Episcopal, whatever. There is no other name, and the name is Jesus Christ. And He is the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so it's only through Jesus Christ. So we understand that the sovereignty of God doesn't negate the gospel, doesn't do away with the gospel message. Jesus died on the cross for our sin, and it's our responsibility to believe it. Because here's the thing. Some people say, well, you know what? Uh, I don't know, you know what to believe, and I'll just kind of take my chances. Well, well you, just, you already made a choice. See, we make a choice not to choose if a person says, well, you know what? I just don't know, and I'll just follow the Ten Commandments, and I will do the best I can.
You've just made a choice to trust your own works. The Bible says there is no other name, there is no other way other than faith and trust in Christ Jesus for salvation. And if you're not <clears throat> convinced yet, let's look at Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1, where we hear, Therefore, having been justified, and that, that's a, a two-bit word that simply means made right with God. We are made right with God by faith. By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The invitation to salvation is unchanging. Matthew 11, 28 to 30, John 3, 16, John 6, 37, all, John 10, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible does not say only, only the elect who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, secondly, here's, here's a second point about God's sovereignty that we will look at. So my, my whole point of this message today is to understand that there are different things that people believe concerning the sovereignty of God. But my bottom line is, if we can't understand what that really, really means, then all we need to do is stick with what we do understand. And that is, we have a responsibility, and it's our choice, and it's our faith and belief that appropriates salvation. So I, I just don't waste a lot of time, maybe it's just me, but I don't waste a lot of time trying to understand things that I know that I will never understand completely. Maybe it's just me. Uh, now, I, I enjoy an argument like, 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 like some of you do as well. I mean, what I don't mean like arguing, fighting, but a debate. I enjoy a great debate. And you, 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 don't understand, you, want, you know that I really have studied this. I have studied both sides. And I can argue for Calvinism, and I can argue for Arminianism. Well, certain points of each. I can't argue for I can't argue for either one completely. But you know what? There's some there's some things on both sides that yeah, well, you know, given we may may or may not be able to totally completely understand. But I'm not going to waste my time with well, this is what I believe. And I'm sticking with this, and because I believe this, I don't have to do this. So here's the second point. God's sovereignty doesn't cancel the Great Commission. God's sovereignty, whatever we believe concerning the sovereignty of God, doesn't cancel the fact that Jesus said we need to go out and make disciples. And so it doesn't cancel that. Uh, some argue the doctrine of election does away with our responsibility to go out and make disciples. Uh, because some believe the extreme and say God's elected and we have no choice in the matter. And so therefore, if we're elected, we're going to believe, and so it doesn't matter whether I share the gospel or not, they'll still believe. So why send missionaries? And so some believe that. Some believe that to the extreme, that they believe that we just need to love everyone, and we don't have to share the gospel because they'll believe anyway. But as we glimpse, the, I think, the broader picture of God's dealing with mankind, we see that His sovereignty doesn't cancel the Great Commission. Because God says, I'm in control, but you still must share 
the good news of the gospel so others can believe. Uh, so they were the last words of Jesus to his disciples. We see that in Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, and 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." The Great Commission sent the early Christians everywhere with the gospel all around the world. And churches exist today all around the world because of the Great Commission. As a matter of fact, we had a a missionary family who was here this morning who are on furlough, who are here in the States. They had to drop something off. They were heading to another church this morning. And through our faith giving, we support them in carrying out the Great Commission beyond the borders of the United States to other countries, to the rest of the world, just like we support other missionaries around the world because it's the Great Commission that plants churches. It's the Great Commission that shares the gospel with those who don't even have the Word of God in their language. And so they need someone to tell them about Jesus. Uh, But in too many places and in too many churches, it's not the Great Commission, it's the Great Omission. Uh, they say, well, I don't need to do that. I, it's not my responsibility. Or uh, we just don't need to get involved. We need to get back. And I say we. I mean the body of Christ needs to get back to carrying the gospel to lost people everywhere. And our, our focus needs to not necessarily be on programs, but on people who need the Lord. Uh, and we go this morning, the next passage we're going to look at is the promise at Pentecost. The promise of Pentecost called people to worldwide witnessing. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. In the words, very words of Jesus, he says, remember he said, tarry here, stay here, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Why? He says, you shall be, you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, started at home, and in all Judea, the the surrounding geographical area, and in all Samaria, went out a little further, and then ultimately, he said, to the end of the earth. All around the globe is where we carry out the Great Commission. So God's sovereign plan, again, God's sovereignty, I believe in his sovereignty, he planned so that believers could be empowered to carry out the gospel, so that people could hear and people could understand. So it does not negate the Great Commission. And then thirdly and lastly, God's sovereignty doesn't curtail evangelism. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't share the gospel of Christ with others because we understand that God is not willing. God doesn't want anyone to perish. The Bible teaches us that. Second uh, Peter uh, 3, verse 9. The Bible teaches us that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness. He says, I'm going to return. I'm coming back with judgment. But He says, is long-suffering toward us. And here's the reason why the Bible says that God is long-suffering. Why is Christ waiting so long to return? 
early believers in the first century waited for Christ to return. And they're thinking, he's going to come back in our lifetime. This was over 2,000 years ago. Well, 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, 20th century, 21st century, we're still waiting for Christ's return. And you know what? Christ could come back in our lifetime. So why is Christ waiting so long to return? Well, I believe this is what we see in verse 9. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And God knows when, in the fullness of time, that everyone, how he does it, I don't know. But when everyone who will believe has believed, Christ is going to return. I don't understand it. I don't understand how. I don't understand his, his mechanism and how he's doing it or how he's going to do it. But he says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he allows more time for people to make that choice, to come to him and repent. And as we consider, look at the evangelistic fervor of the early church. I mean, what, was their, what, what motivated them? What made them get up in the morning? And we see from the New Testament that they wanted the Apostle Paul, Peter, others, uh, they spread out and they told others about Jesus. Well, look at the, the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 41, where we see 3,000 souls were saved. 5,000 were saved in the next wave, Acts chapter 4. And verse number 4, the Apostle Paul shared the gospel everywhere and in every circumstance that he could. The Bible says that the Apostle Paul went from house to house teaching the gospel, teaching others. He ministered publicly and from house to house. When he went into a new area, he went into the synagogue and he opened up the scripture. And he taught from the Old Testament. He taught what Jesus Christ had taught him. And so he was sharing the gospel. So God's sovereignty doesn't curtail evangelism. It's still the believers and it's still the church, it's still the believers' responsibility who are encouraged by the local church. In Acts chapter 20, verse 31, the Bible says that the Apostle Paul evangelized night and day with tears. You know, we often think of the Apostle Paul as this strong um, kind of uh, outdoors kind of uh, just mean, face, stern. The Bible says that Paul evangelized night and day with tears. So much, he cared so much, he had so much compassion for mankind and wanted them to come to Christ that he cried. He wept over people's souls because he didn't want them to spend an eternity separated from God. And so as we pray, God motivate me, motivate us, to have the same kind of, of compassion for souls. Lord, motivate us. Lord, motivate me to have the same desire for others to come to know Christ. And that's what I need to pray, uh, that, that I would be more motivated by compassion and the realization that we are souls who have a destiny or that we will, have, we will spend eternity in one place or another, separated from God in the lake of fire or with God for eternity. And so what's our conclusion in all of this? Well, God's sovereignty doesn't compromise His grace. God's sovereignty doesn't compromise His grace and that will He wills that all should come 
to repentance. And he is giving optimum amount of time for everyone to trust him. He's giving us an optimum amount of time, an optimal amount of time to share the gospel and to, to bring the gospel to uh, the ends of the earth. Uh, I had an opportunity uh, to talk. We, I, talk, I talked about this before the end of the year, about ways that we can outreach. I got a chance to sit down and speak with our fire chief earlier uh, this week. I got a chance to reconnect with him. And hopefully sometime March or so, uh, we can go in homes throughout our area and they will provide, or the Red Cross will provide as many smoke detectors as we want. And the, the actual firefighters are going to install the smoke detectors for anyone who wants them. And they will have the opportunity to ask, do you all have any prayer requests? Can we pray with you? Here, here's, here's who we are. We, we would love to provide you whatever you need, introduce ourselves to them. And maybe someone will want to know about Jesus. Maybe someone is going to want to, to trust Christ as their Savior. So, so we will be providing a physical, a physical device and at the same time being able to provide some type of burden-bearing by helping them pray, but also being able to hopefully be able to share the gospel if they would like to hear, or at least have another opportunity to say, if you'd like, we can come back and tell you about what the Bible says, about how you can have peace with God and know that your sins are forgiven. It's just one way. It's not going to be the only way, but it's one way for us to get into the, to the homes in our community and provide a, a felt need. Uh, so something that actually the chief was excited about doing that with us. He said, this is awesome that you guys are willing to do this. He said, I'll provide the manpower. And he said, if you all want to provide some volunteers, he said, we'll do this and we will make this happen. So God's sovereignty doesn't compromise his grace and salvation is available to all who believe. And I would like to close uh, with, with these two verses. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved, and it's by grace that anyone will be saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast not of works lest anyone should boast uh, you know i find it interesting that coming back to the to the whitfield and wesley uh, clash that they had they were dear 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 friends who got divided over this issue but wesley preached for whitfield's whitfield's funeral and one of the things that he said, even though they never kind of came together in life, he talked about, he said, uh, Mr. Whitfield and Mr. Law, one of the others that was involved in this controversy, he said, we'll be at the throne of grace, or we'll be with God. And he says that whether or not we had an agreement or disagreement here on earth, you know, they love God, they will be forever with him. And uh, really, I think both of them wish they would have cleared matters before before they died so the reality was he said even though we don't agree on this we agree that we're trusting the same christ we're trusting the same jesus and i think that's the whole point god loves the world so much he sent his son jesus christ who died on the cross in our place 
Salvation is available by grace through faith for all who will believe. And I do believe God is in control. Because if God were not in control, we would be in a world of hurt. But I believe God has given us that, that space, that freedom for us to choose. Because if we, we, if we had no freedom, we would be robots. If we had no freedom, we would be, it would be like mechanical. But God gives us that space for us to have that choice to say, because when we really follow Christ, it's our decision to follow Christ. Wouldn't you rather someone love you because they want to love you? rather than you forcing them to love you. And I think that's a true picture of the love of God. He loves us unconditionally, but he wants us to come to him and trust him because we choose and we want to follow. So this morning, I trust that we will understand maybe a little bit more clearly that we have a responsibility. And I think it is upon us to share the gospel. And if nothing else, just to show people, show the world that God is real, that prayer is answered, and that Jesus Christ loves them so much that he doesn't want them to spend an eternity apart from the Father. Let's pray. Lord God, this morning, we are so, so thankful that while we may not be able to fully understand the, the intricacies of election and free will. Lord, we do understand that we do have a choice, and you allow us that choice to trust Christ as our Savior or to reject the gospel and spend an eternity apart separated from you. So, Father, this morning I pray that you would help us and motivate us to, to love you even more because you've given us that choice. You've given us that freedom to come to you albeit on your terms, but that we can come to you in faith, trusting that our sins are forgiven and that we are justified and made right with you through the death and the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're so thankful for the new life you give to us that all of our, our past is wiped away, our sins are forgiven, and we've been given a brand new life. We thank you for this, and I pray for each one here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And if we all stand.